Good morning. I was going to ask if there was some kind of transition between the worship to sermon, but nothing's working, so it doesn't matter. That's right. I mean, the screens. Everything else is working as it should. No, it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful time to get together. I almost, like I've said the last few times we've been together, I almost need to reintroduce myself because we've been gone so much this summer, my wife Carrie and I. I think in the context of worship that we should begin with a prayer. So would you join me in prayer? Gracious Father, we thank you for this time of gathering. We thank you for, in today's place, uh, no screens, Father, so we can sit and focus on, on the sounds of worship, the voices being lifted in harmony to you, and the joyful noise which we know it is to you because of your spirit. Father, I have one prayer for us this moment that you would grant us your spirit. That you would grant those that are gathered here the spirit to hear. That you would grant me, Father, the spirit to speak so that in all ways the message is pleasing to you this day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we have the opportunity to carry on. Um, I'm glad Jason's here because I thought that Based on last week, you needed this hour to kind of reconnect and share some more on joy. There was some, I think you were going to share that you needed the time today as well. Maybe not, I don't know. The other part of this is we're not going to make any joy posts today. I had some really cool videos that we're going to watch. No, you know, that's not my deal. I tend to be pretty, pretty straightforward. So we are, though, going to carry on with what we've been talking about in joy, and specifically with regards to the book of Philippians, right? And, and last week, if you were here, Jason did a great job of setting this context. This is, this is one of these books, one of Paul's letters in the New Testament that is so core to what the church is about. When I say the church, I mean what the early Christians were about. Because in fact, if you go back and look, they had gathered Paul's books together. That is Romans, the, both Corinthian letters, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and they had put them into a, into a book, and that became really the guideline for the early Christian church. I mean, that, that was it. As they got further away and as it spread, that's what they went back to, is they went back to Paul, because, because Paul was, was the father of most of these churches. And that's, in fact, the case, again, at, at Philippi, the church there. And so Paul is writing to them, and again, as Jason described uh, Paul's in prison, and he's writing with such a joyful heart to his, his, his brothers and sisters, but really also his children in the faith. He was their father. He had seen them come to faith, and, and as the, the faith spread into Europe, not current-day Europe as it spread, that this is what Paul's message was about, and, and so we get, to, we get to engage that again today. And so trying to understand what does Paul say in his letter to the church of Philippi, what does he say about joy? What I'm going to do, we're get, we could have looked at chapters 3 and 4 today, but I'm just going to focus on chapter 4, and we're going to pick out a couple of things. So if you've got it, great. If not, that's fine too. Um, I'm going to read, I'm going to basically read chapter 4 for us, and then we're going to come back and just look at a couple of things. I'm going to try to keep it pretty straightforward, hopefully, and, and just a couple words that we're going to focus on, okay? So just listen here. This is, this is chapter 4, and this is Paul writing to the church. So go back to last week, if not, and, and this is this father figure writing to his children, his brothers and sisters. So Paul, Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. 
I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. I'll stop there for a minute. For you are my joy. There's the word we're talking about. And so it really kind of sets up this, this farewell, this encouragement as he wraps up his letter to his, his brothers and sisters in the faith in Philippi. So Paul goes on. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for, concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situa situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent more help. You sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And thus Paul concludes his letter. We could spend a lot of time, frankly, going back through this book and um, looking at all the bits and pieces. There's so much here. Um, within the context of where we are in Paul's ministry, and what he's been going through. But I want us to spend just a bit more time focusing on a couple words. Joy is the first one, right? And so last week, um, we talked about, and Jason really got into some of the aspects of joy, the things we struggle with, and things we can do to try to, to reinforce it. I mean, it's, it's a complicated situation. 
anything that is connected with our emotions <laughs> can get messy really quick. And I suspect that your life is like mine, and, and that's just the way things are. So today, and it's easy to think about joy as an attitude, right? You kind of get that posture, or, I mean, the, the pose from last week, you know, if you kind of fake it till you make it sort of thing, that we focus, though, on this, this kind of emotive, this, this joyful thing, and, and, and we can sometimes get a little bit too stuck into our head. So I'm going to suggest today that what Paul is telling us what the Lord's word is for you today is that joy is more of an action than an attitude. Joy is more of an action than an attitude. So if it's an action, then we've got to figure out, well, how do we do it, right? What does that mean? What does it look like? What are the things that we physically do, the steps that we take to demonstrate that it's an action more than an attitude. Well, it's probably best to just let Paul help us. And so I'm going to go back to, it was verse 7 when he was talking and, and speaking through this. Paul says, then in verse 7, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So I think the first word we need to focus on is peace. And not peace from the standpoint of how we might experience it, but I think let's first take a look at what Paul meant by peace. So for Paul, this peace is in Christ Jesus. And for Paul, I suspect that he, better than us, could physically understand what that action was. So think about Paul's story. Who was Paul before he was Paul? He was Saul. And what was Saul's conversion like? Well, let's, before we get to the conversion piece, let's talk about his past life or his previous, what he was doing against the church, against God, against God's people. He was the chief persecutor of the Jews against the Christians as Christ's word began to go forth in a new way. And so the action that Paul experienced was Jesus in the person coming and telling him his wrong. And not just telling him his wrong. If you recall on the road that he was seeing Jesus in person, you can read about this in Acts, and he loses his sight and he kind of goes on down the road and eventually his sight is given back and he is converted in a way that, that we've not seen, at least the scriptures don't tell us about that kind of an incident anywhere else. And Saul becomes Paul and Paul becomes the greatest missionary on behalf of Jesus. And I think, if we could ask Paul, I think that he would use peace as a word to describe what came to him. Think about his conflict that he had as a leader in the, with the Jews, the Old Testament people, with the Christians, the conflict that was going on. And though he received a pretty direct word from Jesus, in time, he receives tremendous, tremendous relationship with him, tremendous communion and harmony, and in a very physical way. For Paul, he is confronted with Jesus in face-to-face. And when they go on from there and continue to, to share in the Spirit and this communion in ways that we probably, not probably, that we, we struggle to understand, 
and yet the church goes forth. So, so for Paul, the action of peace was very real. And I get it, that was 2,000 years ago. So how do we do this today? How do we look at peace in Christ as an action rather than an attitude? Well, I would suggest that we need to figure out where it starts from, like most things. It's very easy to get focused on ourselves, be turned inward, to think about what's going on in my life, how life's unfair, how the struggles are existing. But, but the basis of this for us as Christians is that God first reconciled us to himself in Christ Jesus in action. And that reconciliation, that new life in Christ was given to us most directly in baptism. Again, an action on God's behalf that comes to us and shapes and gives life to what gives, gives shape to what our life should be in Christ. What not just in Christ, but our, our life should be together. And so as we talk about peace, the peace in Christ which is ours, I suggest to you that the action is about reconciliation. The action is about us first going to someone else that has wronged us. The action is about us, about seeing that brother or sister that is in need and going and caring for them because they need to receive the peace that is in Christ in a very physical way. I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed we're not having communion today. <laughs> but that's okay. We get to share in that. The Word of God is here nonetheless. But maybe some of us re recall the sharing of the peace in worship, right? Quite often it would happen just before communion, maybe before the message. Kind of depend. Maybe the sharing of peace, the message, then we go into the, the sacrament, that sort of thing. The history of that is that, and this is different than good morning, good morning, good morning, right? That's peace be with you, peace be with you, and also with you. That's how we kind of would go about it in a, in a good kind of traditional service. The history of that is that the church, God's people, would take time to go be reconciled with those with whom they had issues with. So sharing with the peace was, I go and I say, Aaron, I've, I've missed you, and I've not been with you, and I've had bad thoughts that I wasn't in church, and you weren't with me, and I knew you. I don't know what you were doing. I know what I was doing, but I'm sorry, brother. Forgive me. I, and he forgives me, and we are reconciled. We, we have shared in Christ's peace, and then we go, and maybe literally, like we do here, but maybe just as the body, we commune together with the Lord. We share that peace and we go and receive, we eat and drink the peace of Christ in bread and wine. It's, a, it's an action, people. This is the kind of stuff that we get to share in today. Now, I'm not sure what that means, again, within your life. Which relationships are most broken? It might be the relationship that you're sitting next to here this morning. We've got a couple right here sharing in the peace. Ken and Jason. I pray that it wasn't too bad this morning initially. But just putting your arm around, right? I mean, it's an action more than an attitude, folks. And I think the place where we can reflect on this from sharing in God's joy is by taking those steps 
just stopping for a minute and, and remembering who I am in Christ, that I have first been forgiven. And God knows everything about me. Not just the things I've done. He knows my thoughts. He knows my natural inclination against him. And yet God, who is perfect, came to forgive me. Why is it so hard for me to go to somebody else and share in some peace? To work at reconciling. Now I get it, there's a whole lot of baggage that comes with that because we are, we're people of history. Our relationships have histories. And I'll be the first one to say, when Carrie and I are getting into some good, you know, contentious little fight, I would, oh gosh, I would love to hold a grudge longer than I can, right? I mean, how satisfying is it to hold a grudge? But she, you know, she's the, come on, she should come to me first. I don't care if she is 95% at fault. There's some role that I had to play in that. And I would tend to say it's actually the opposite. <laughs> I'm the majority of the issue, and she's the minority. If a relationship is challenged or broken, there's always always, always something we can do to take a step toward the other. And especially, especially as God's people. I believe that this is all wrapped up in what Paul is talking about when he talks about the peace of Christ. And I believe that there are steps that we can take today that are real, that are active, that make a difference, that can get to the issue, and hopefully allow us to show Christ in those relationships. Maybe even give testimony of why we're able to go to somebody else. Because we have a Lord that came to us first. We have a Lord that took our dead body and raised it to life through Christ. Okay, where are we here? We're checking back in, right? We got, we're talking Philippians chapter 4, joy, action, more than an attitude. The first word we're taking from Philippians 4 is peace, the peace of Christ. And the peace for Paul is an action on God's behalf, which can bring tremendous joy in your life. The next one now, we're going to slide a little bit further here. Let's see, the next one, as we are reading, oh yeah, so this is a good one, right? Where, do we, where, is, where is Paul when he's writing this letter? He's in jail. He's in jail. I, I know Jason last week talked about, and I'd be the same. If I was in jail, the last thing I'd be doing is be full of joy and giving praise to the Lord and writing these kind of lovely letters to my brothers and sisters in faith. I'd be like, come on, what are you doing to get me out of here, right? Absolutely. I'm the exact same boat. So this next word, this next word that Paul shares with us is, he says, not, well, let's step back here. This is from verse 10, verse 10 of chapter 4. How I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So the second word I want us to focus on is content. 
<laughs> How many people do we have that are content in this world? We got one, right on. Someone's listening, awesome, praise God for that. Let's go back first again to Paul and with his talk about being content, right? Again, here's the situation, Paul's in jail and what is he saying? I appreciate, brothers and sisters in Philippi, I so appreciate your concern for me. And I know you would do what you could for me, but you know what? Don't worry about it. I've learned to be content in every situation, whether my stomach is empty or full, whether my breadbasket is empty or full, whether my bank account is empty or full, whatever it is, I'm content in every situation. And so I think we need to ask the question, again, how is contentment more about an action than an attitude? How is being content an action more than an attitude? Well, we need to give some thought about the word content. I, I think it goes back to this idea of being satisfied. I mean, that's what Paul says. I'm content if I'm satisfied with what I have, and then we have to think if it's about satisfaction or being satisfied, by whose measure? By, by whose measure does that satisfaction depend? I think the secret to Paul is that Paul has learned that by God's view, as long as Paul is in Christ, everything is satisfied, and the rest is just details. So Paul knows from a life of faith that that God gives me what I need. And he takes what I don't. The Lord gives and takes, and Paul could say that completely and thus be satisfied. So the action for us, the action for us today is to figure out what does contentment in Christ look like for you? What does it mean to be content in the Spirit? What does it mean to be content in the body based on what God is providing? And that casts us in, it, it throws us into this activity of, of devotion, of reading in the scriptures, of sharing, of growing in faith so that we are understanding better and better what God's will is for my life. And not just alone, and I would suggest, frankly, it should never be alone. That's not to say we don't do our own devotions. But the focus should be on the family the body of Christ. We do this best in relationship with God's people. We do this best in trusted relationships where we can, we can be honest and true with our struggles, where we can be nurtured, where someone can listen to us and remind us and say, hey, Rob, this isn't the first time someone's gone through this. In fact, let's look at some of the scriptures. I'll give you a whole lots of examples of people struggling exactly what you're struggling with, about sin having its way with you over and over and over again about you breaking relationships, about that, you being selfish, about you turning away from God, but, but time and time again, God comes breaking back into your life, chasing after you in a way that, that he will not stop until he captures you wholly. This, I think, folks, is what it means to be content. It means to understand that we have been called into a family and that we have a father that has saved us again in Christ Jesus, but that Father has an intention for us. That Father has an idea of what our life should look like. That Father has a good and gracious plan, which certainly includes discipline, which certainly includes accountability, which certainly includes reconciliation. I am. Um, 
I tend to think we can demonstrate really anything in the faith with the family. And so um, my, my daughter, who's 21, has been here a few times. She's not here today. But let's talk about her anyways. <laughs> and I, I just say this because it, for me, it's the most natural relationship. My, my kids, my son and my daughter, who are 21 and 23, my son and my daughter are the most natural way for me to talk about this stuff because I'm, I'm in it. And, and it's easier for me to be reflective on my daughter's decisions <laughs> than probably my own, if, if to be fair. <laughs> 21-year-old, transitioning into a new place in, in Sacramento, California, and school and such. And, and, and I'll just tell you, she really struggles with being content with where she is. She really struggles with being still, being alone. Not, not lonely, but just, just kind of being on her, you know, on her own. And, and part of it, and, and I suspect, so here I am as a 47-year-old that have, have hopefully matured a little bit, but grown into how I can, I can try to carve out some of these things, you know? I used to have a Facebook, or that's what they call it still, used to, and I deleted it. You know, I had it when my kids were younger, and I deleted it like three or four years ago, and it was the best thing ever. So I'm not on that, right? I share that because that's one of the ways, especially our, our young kids, and, and I mean all of us, a great way to connect, I get that, but it really turns into a comparison so quickly. I don't see a whole lot of people putting stuff out publicly uh, on Facebook or Instagram or these about how messed up their life is. No, I'm in this place, I'm in that place, look at the food I'm eating, you know, eh, all this, these concerts, it's just all over the place. And, and I just know for my daughter, because we talk about it, it's tough. And, and she's not alone in this. I mean, this is, this, is, this is us. You know, we get in this position of, oh, if I just was there. So from a contentment standpoint, being satisfied where I am, how quick we lose track of, of really what's important. That's not to say that those things of going here and there and getting away and going to concerts are, are inherently evil. That's not the point. The point is, is your posture towards them. The point is where they fit in your life. Where are you looking to define, to give meaning to your life, right? What's important? Is it what, <clears throat> what the neighbor's doing? You know, I guess back in the day it probably was just comparing with the neighbors. Keeping up with the Joneses was the term, right? Because you saw those folks in your community. Well, now the neighbors are all over your phone. I mean, you see pictures from all over the world. It's very, very easy very easy to start comparing my life to theirs. Because you know, no doubt, they're, only, they're showing it all, right? No, they're, no they're, they're probably just showing the best parts. That's the stuff we like to share with people. I'm guilty as well. You know, I know we have some pretty trusted relationships in the body here in, in, in the, the gathering. But do we, do we really share everything with each other? I, I, you know, <clears throat> perception, what we put forth in, in America today, it's it's pretty interesting how it, how it rolls out. So, so I, I want us to think about content, being content. And how do you define content for you? And I pray that we look at what Paul is saying here, that I have learned to be content because his contentment, his satisfaction, his measure of what he needs or doesn't need is being defined by God. It's an action more than an attitude. 
an action more than an attitude. So in the case of contentment, that means us working to understand what God has in store for me. What God has for me to learn and and be so I can be content. And I can say like Paul, whether in hunger or full, I'm content. The Lord gives me what I need. All right, we're checking in here. How are we doing on time? We got the we got the the whole family here, which is awesome today. Huh? We're doing good. I think um, one of the things I want to go back to in chapter four here. This you might have heard the language this way. I was reading from uh, the NLT, but let's listen to it from the ESV. Paul says, where is it here? Well, how would we finish our sermons here? We'd finish a lot of times that the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, guard and protect your hearts and your lives in Christ Jesus, right? That's that same passage from Philippians chapter 4. This idea that the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, which is greater than... I'm going to challenge that one a little bit. I'm going to challenge it about how we think about it because I know in my mind, I think that this... This idea, it surpasses, it's, oh, it's so wonderful and great, we can't have access to it. Don't think that's what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that the peace of God, which is greater than, more powerful than, more incomprehensible from the greatness and, and, and magnitude and strength, it surpasses human understanding. That is in Christ. Jesus, and that in Christ is the part that makes it accessible to us. Absolutely, we're confessing that the peace of God is bigger than anything I understand, bigger than anything you understand, but it is not because we don't have access to it, because of God's action to us. We absolutely have access to it. The peace of God is greater than what we can do ourselves because it is peace through Christ. And I think that takes us back to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read Romans chapter 3 here because I want to talk about this this phrase of peace in Christ. Have we heard this in the church before, peace in Christ? You can nod, yes, if you heard this. I'll tell you, when I got into full-time ministry, that became my, my tagline. I would sign every email, note, peace in Christ, Rob, peace in Christ, Rob. And part of that is because I would hope it would give me the opportunity to discuss it with somebody. It wasn't just peace like, you know, peace like we get in in the world, right? The peace sign. That's not the peace we're talking about here, folks. You know, these are words that that have been taken by our culture and have been redefined. Here in Philippians 4, Paul is talking about peace in Christ. And what does that mean? Well, I think Paul, if he was here today, tell us, he would say, when I talk about peace in Christ, it is a small phrase to refer to this. And this is Romans chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 21. I love being able to read off this thing. I can read it, make it big letters. Paul writes in Romans, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's a lot of big words there. The point, though, is that when Paul talks about faith, excuse me, peace in Christ, he's wrapping all of this up that we hear there in Romans chapter 3, that God did not turn away from sin, but in fact, he came and faced it straight on. And what he did is he brought his son Jesus as a propitiation, as a sacrifice, so that he would justify those, that he would make them right, that he would bring peace again between he and his people through Christ. And so by faith in Jesus, you have peace in Christ. This is the action of God, that God would first come to being peace in Christ. This is why we're here. This is why we gather. This is what we celebrate and worship and speak and sing as loudly as possible, is that through Christ, in Christ, we are forgiven and we are united with our Father in heaven for eternity. This little phrase, peace in Christ, captures all of that for Paul. All of it. That God comes and he acts on our behalf first and foremost, and not just once, but for all time. For eternity. So folks, I'm going to come back to this because um, I love, I, again, like I said, we've been, Carrie and I have been gone, this has been the summer of weddings and all kinds of stuff. We've been gone so much, much more than we've been here. And I know that we get to get together and, and, and share this today, but I'm going to give you a challenge this week. I'm going to give you a challenge this week because I think this gets to the shape of what life is, that we just don't come and sit and listen and, and, and celebrate and, and be nurtured in faith, but that by God's Spirit, He sends us forth. This week, we've been talking about, and last week also, joy. Joy from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi and to, to the church at Oikos today. And specifically today, we talked about peace and content. I'll let you work on the content part on your own, together. Studying, praying, talking, growing about what does it look like based on God's expectation for your life to be content. But the second one, or the first one, about peace, I have a challenge. We've been together in the past, and, and when I've preached, I've, we've, done, we've done kind of confession together, and I've talked about this rhythm of life, that we come and we gather here as God's people, and, and we should be able to, to openly share and, and just, just, bleh, just you know, dump it all on God. He knows it anyways. <clears throat> we dump it, we're forgiven, and then we go out, <clears throat> excuse me, and we go out to this, this world. Monday through Friday, and we, get, we stand up and we get knocked right back down, and then I do something, you know, we do something stupid. It's not just someone else doing it to us. I mean, I get in my own way more often than someone else doing it to me. And then, and then we come back and we get to do it again. And, and for me, for Rob, as I've grown in the faith, oh, I so cherish the time to sit and confess and be forgiven. 
And as I said today, that is peace in Christ being given to you. That is God's action on your behalf to you in a way that you can take that and share it. So earlier in the message, I I spoke a bit about there might be some relationships that are not at peace in your life right now. They might be the person sitting next to you. They very well may be. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's an adult sibling that you haven't talked to in several years. Maybe it's a child that's off doing something that you don't know how to understand. Maybe it's something you've done to somebody else. I don't know what it is. But what I want you to do this week is I want you to take one step, one action toward bringing peace into that relationship. And when I say peace, again, I'm defining it as God does. And so you are, you are captured by him, and whether that person knows the Lord or not, you do. And you can take a posture that goes and it shares and it tries to work toward reconciliation. Maybe you can share Christ, maybe not. But the Lord wants, he wants peace in your life. The next step we're going to take is, we've already had a time a bit of, of confession, but I'm, I'm going I'm to do it again. Because this is this rhythm of life. We, we come here and we spend time, and so I want us to, to spend just a time of confession. I'm going to just speak out loud the, the confession we know, and, and I want you to think in your mind and, and maybe prepare what's that relationship, what's that person you go to, and just, just confess your peace, your part, your role, your peace, P-I-E-C-E, your, your act action in it. Maybe you are the one or two percent and it's all them. I get it. It's possible. Not likely, but it's possible. Maybe you're the one or two percent though, so, so take that part to the Lord. Whatever it is so that you can speak a word or make a step or whatever it is with that relationship that's in your life, okay? So I'm just, we're just going to just pray for a moment. Um, and, and in this context, I'm also going to say that this is one that we can teach our kids, Everybody here, we can teach our kids what this looks like, and we can do this at home with them and their relationships with their siblings or with mom and dad. So think about that a little bit too, okay? So we go to the Lord. Father, hear the prayer of our, height, our heart. We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved others as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. The Lord knows the confession of your heart. He knows your sin and brokenness. And I, on his behalf, not because of my authority, but his authority in Christ, I forgive you your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I invite you to share the peace of the Lord with others. Amen.